Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Darko Audio Podcast. Joining us once again, actually, this time out is one Mads Bookart of Bookart Audio. Welcome, Mads. Hello, John, and uh, thank you for having me once again. Now, we're talking today, Mads, actually kind of unexpectedly, because you sent me a pair of S400 Mark II, the passive loudspeakers that you make what, yep. six, six months ago. I then made a couple of videos about those, uh, probably, yeah, start of April, because one of them was April 1st. And I appreciate you being a good sport about that, actually, because yeah. you know, I knew that I knew you would be, well, I kind of guessed you would be, I, I just kind of thought that other manufacturers wouldn't. And then we did a normal, proper review video about those. It's funny, I still get comments in the comment section, people not realizing yeah. it's an <laughs> April Fool's video, even though the title is April Fool's 2022. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, and we're so so over the top that it uh, it couldn't be true, right? <laughs> I thought so, but some people just don't seem to. They, th I guess that tells you how bad the cliche problem is in, is in the hi-fi review world if people are not spotting it straight away. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Maybe cultural differences as well. Well, that, that is also a very yeah. That's a good point. Actually, it's an important factor. Is yeah, there's there's language barriers and things like that, and yeah, yeah. cultural differences. But then. After those videos, you said, hey, John, thanks for that S400 Mark II coverage. Do you want to tackle the A700 floor stander? Because it's a streaming active, and it's basically the floor standing version of the S500. A500. I, I, sorry, yeah. my apologies. A500 <laughs> that I'd done a couple of years ago and made my product yeah. of the year. Yeah. And I said, thanks, but no thanks, because it's too soon after the S400. So um, we kind of left it at that. But then... As you know, and as you probably saw, I did two videos about the KEF LS60 wireless. And in the second one, where I did all the comparisons, there were far more people than I expected asking for comparisons to the A700. It really took me by surprise, right? Yeah, me too. I also read the comment section. I was, I was quite flattered when I saw it. Right. So that really made me rethink my sort of hardline no on the a700 even though i won't get to them for a couple of months so there will be some daylight there but um but you very kindly sent me a pair i'm looking at them in their boxes right now because they're in my hallway because my cellar is full and i'm trying, <laughs> trying to i'm trying to get some jbls and some clips out of my cellar so i can put these in there until i can unbox them and set them up but what i wanted to do today because i'm on this run of streaming active floor standards right so i've done the kefs i've got the dynaudio focus 30 i'm doing those next and then eventually I'll come to your A700. And for each of those video reviews, I'm also doing a podcast to talk to the designer slash manufacturer person representative. So we're talking today to sort of dig a little bit deeper into what is the A700, what's inside it, and the, some of the decisions that you at Booker Audio have made in designing this loudspeaker, because there are some clever little twists along the way, right? Yeah, that sure is. But can I start with a basic question? Right, yeah. so it's it's a floor stander. Can you tell us a bit about the driver array and whether it's like a two way, two and a half way, three way? I don't know. Yeah, it's actually uh, you, you have you have a lot of choices because uh, there's also master tunings, and we can mm. talk about that later. But yeah. when when you get them, they are they are loaded with a standard tuning where they are actually a three and a half way design and. Basically, that means that you have uh, you have a dedicated mid-range, of course, also a dedicated uh, tweeter on it. Mm -hmm. And then the first two front uh, woofers you see, um, they are they are doing basically sub-bass and uh, and a little bit higher up into the um, to the upper uh, bass section as well. Uh -huh. 
uh, but not but not not up in in, in the mid range. Um, and then you have the the two uh, backfiring woofers, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is basically only doing uh, sub bass. So that makes it a, a three and a half way. And each of the woofers, the mid range has its own uh, internal compartment. It's a sealed design all the mm-hmm. way through. And the the two front firing um, subwoofers basically also have their own uh, sealed compartments and. Then also the two uh, backwards firing subwoofers has their own compartments as well. So it's it's kind of a big matrix inside the speakers. If yeah, you, if yeah. You look into them. So does that mean if you've got five drivers, is that right? Yeah, we have we have five woofers where uh, four of them are dedicated to uh, to to sub bass. Okay, and then so number of amplifiers inside. You have four, uh, which is four times one hundred and fifty watts. RMS uh, class D designs, and who makes the amps? The, those are made by uh, Texas Instruments. Uh, okay, the, the chips, yeah. Okay, so you've got, and they're obviously, I would assume they're class D amplifiers, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. They are class D amplifiers. Now, I wanted to kind of tackle this earlier because one of the the sort of grumbles I see about streaming active loudspeakers, where pretty much everything is in the speaker, is people saying, "Well, you know." What happens if, let's say, the one of the amplifiers dies in one of the speakers, right? Now, for the care for the Dynaudio, you'd have to take the speaker back to your dealer or the distributor or somehow get it back to a service rep, right? But yeah. you've done something quite clever, I think. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we thought about that is probably one of the biggest concerns, I think, for most customers that are looking into active designs is that mm. they are quite scared about both longevity of the of the amps and what happens if something breaks because in comparison to a passive speaker there is <laughs> there is much more that that can go wrong in active speakers because you have all the electronics inside of them mm. so uh, we uh, we wanted to to build the a series and that also uh, includes the a500 as well of course uh, as as more of a platform um so you you can see it as an as an upgradable platform mm-hmm. so what if if a uh, Let's say an amp dies in one of the speakers. Then instead of uh, having to ship them back, they are designed to be extremely easy to replace yourself with only the use of a, of a normal Phillips head screwdriver mm-hmm. and five minutes of spare time. Uh, you basically just yeah unscrew the screws on the back uh, that you see holding the the plate amp, and then it pops right out, and you have a small connector plug. You just uh, take off and put into the new one and screw the new one back in. It's uh, it's super easy and very fast. So would I be able to film that for my video? Like, would I be able to just unscrew the back and just show how easy it is to yeah. swap these modules out? Yeah, that that oh. that, uh, that would be pretty easy to do. We also, uh, we have plans uh, very shortly, we will also do uh, uh, videos on, on how to exchange modules and how to also exchange, exchange uh, drivers and, and speakers if some of those break. Um, because um, it's, it's, it's really important that, that they are serviceable uh, mm. at the customer's own home. So it's a it's it's very easy job to do, and that also makes um, the speakers very open to to get upgrades uh, down the line. It's not mm-hmm. something that we have started to design on yet, but eventually, uh, better amps uh, technology and DAX and stuff like that will will become available, and then we would like to look into uh, to create a maybe a second gen uh, module for for our active speakers that will be backwards compatible, um, so that. No, no customers are left behind with old technologies and uh, in their pretty big investments into into speakers like this. Right. So you could theoretically ship out an upgrade amplifier kit, and then people yep. could just 
pop the back off, take the old amps out. Right. Obviously it's not. Yes, of course it's optional. Yes. Um, What about the DACs? Are are they on the amp boards? Are they separately configured? They they are. You have uh, one amp chip for each of the amps. Oh, so one DAC chip for each of the amp channels. Mm-hmm. So you have actually four DACs in each of the speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, what I'm asking is, are they separate from the amplifier board? So if you upgrade the amps, do the DACs stay as no, they no. are? No, it, when, when we eventually will do a, a new module um, mm-hmm. for it, it will also be the DACs, it will be the power supply, and also be the DSP. Everything will be upgradable. And that's, that's why gotcha. it's something that we, we, will, uh, we will do uh, one year to the next. It, it takes some time because it's all components that you will exchange uh, at the same time. It's, it's gotcha. a big box you will basically pull out. So it's not open electronics when you, when you take out the, uh, the AMP module. There, it's actually mm-hmm. sealed behind a, yeah, a shield, basically. I understand. Okay. So you've also, I mean, you mentioned DSP just now, so that's obviously how the crossover's done. But you've, I mean, I did show this in my A500 video that you have something called Master Tunings where you can download a file from your website, put it on a USB stick, insert the USB stick into the back of the speaker, reboot the speaker. It loads that reconfigured DSP onto the chip inside the speaker, which then changes the the driver configuration and behavior, right? Yeah, we can we can basically change anything. Uh, it's uh, it can be a, a pretty dramatic uh, change. Uh, we can go from like the standard three and a half way design to a three way design where you use the back woofers as, as cardioid uh, woofers. So you have you have so many possibilities on on how you want to configure the speaker. And uh, we also have actually when we're doing master tunings, we have two different uh, engineers that are that are doing the all the sound work mm. uh, and tuning of the speakers. So which is two engineers that has two different philosophies on how they want to design uh, crossovers and speakers like this. So you you basically get two very different sounding speakers depending on, on what type of master tuning you install. And then from that, we also have variations of each of uh, the engineer's designs. So um, there is a lot of possibilities and it, it is something that we are, we are constantly improving on and we can always upload new designs uh, to the, our master tuning page, which uh, customers can try out. So it's a, it's a, it's a very fun thing uh, with the speakers and it makes them very flexible. Mm. So how many master tunings do you have available right now? Uh, right now Rough, for roughly, roughly for, uh, yeah. for the, uh, for the A, the A 500 we have? Six, that's nine, I think. Wow. Yeah, no, no, uh, eleven. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the A700 do- doesn't need that many master tunings because it it doesn't have the same limitations uh, as the A300 has. Uh, oh, sorry, the A500 has. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, with that we have something like we have high pass filters if uh, if customers want to connect up uh, for them, and we also have tunings that are that are optimized for near wall placements and we have what we call theoretical tunings that follows uh, the floyd tool research and just makes it the most perfect speaker on on paper almost and then we have tunings where where we have um, we have tuned the speakers much more by ear and what we think sounds the best uh, for, for what we like and then we have also the cardio tuning and and all that stuff so so it's a there's a lot of things to to choose between so does the, let's say, for example, the, the, the sound that you like and then the Floyd tool tuning, do, do, does that come from the two different 
software engineers that you have like is yeah, that exactly yeah. right i see yeah we, we have one that that follows very much um what's what is the in in terms of audio science and uh, and what we know to be um in terms of yeah, science what what will be the best speaker um, mm. and and then the other engineers he, he he use much more of his um his listening of course you he follows uh, a lot of the uh the, the theoretical things that you need to do in order to make a make a proper speaker, but then he uh, he finish out and spend a lot of time by uh, by fine adjusting by by ear as well, mm. and something that that requires a, a lot of uh, experience <laughs> to do such things. Right, because it's not anything goes right. I think a lot of misconceptions that I see out there on the net is that, well, if it's not let's let's call it the Floyd tool tool tuning. I don't want to use his name in that way but if it's not like a, a sort of a a flat focused type tuning then therefore it must be like anything goes no 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 you yeah. must have like you must still be working within a fairly sort of tight set of measurable parameters when even choosing a slightly different let's call it more subjectively pleasing yeah. apparently in well that's your that's your intent anyway uh, a more subjectively pleasing type of tuning right yeah yeah, and it is very funny to uh, to see how how big of a difference not only in tone these things can make, but also especially in terms of how how the sound stage is presented to you, um, mm. in terms of, of depth and how much air you have between instruments and, and stuff like that. All all the things that many audiophiles like to to talk about, mm-hmm. it it can change dramatically with uh, in terms of how how the um, how the yeah, the master tunings are built. Um, so it's uh, yeah. It's it's very funny thing to to go down that rabbit hole and, and start uh, fiddling around with all that stuff. But um, yeah, which tuning do they ship with? You know, if, when I unbox them, which one which one will I hear straight away? You will actually hear the uh, one of the newer uh, tunings that is um, that is what we call the neutral stock tuning, and it mm. is it is what what we find to be a, a very neutral uh, sound that we like. It is it is not the the theoretical tuning, which is this Floyd tool thing, uh, mm. uh, um, which which sounds completely different. But um, but when you when you're seeing uh, the measurements that we are showing uh, on our website is is actually from the the theoretical tuning because that is what looks best on paper. But but we 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 personally think that the um, the neutral struck tuning, which is what we call it, is the one that we like the most. Mm. Not all we we see uh, it's it's very different where we see people actually are and what um yeah what trends they basically are in in terms of what tuning they like the best so it's uh, yeah it, there is there is something for for all uh, everybody's taste basically right so when we're talking about floyd tool we're talking about harm and research and we're yep. talking about i guess a, a reasonably flat response but i guess it would be sort of descending from the bass down to the treble very slightly is that right yeah, basically, I think one of the big things that they uh, they did with the research is is the the importance of how uh, how controlled the activity is in a speaker, and we also have that baked into the speaker with uh, with our waveguide design that follows a lot of that um, that research as well mm-hmm. in terms of having constant uh, the activity control in a in a speaker and. And yeah, there there are also other things, but yeah, basically you have you have a a very very flat speaker uh, when you when you're looking at it on on measurements and um, mm. yeah, it's a, so and and we vary a little bit uh, from that with uh, with uh, with the other um, types of tunings. So 
it's not it's not like they will measure horribly or anything like that but they are they are they're built differently and also built differently in terms of how the crossover slopes are, are made uh, how you Huh. How you cross over from from each driver to another, and where the crossover point is actually placed. Um, so, yeah, that, there's a lot of things that are changing. I guess that the danger is when you kind of talk about frequency response enough, and especially if those are the the only graphs you're publishing on your website. I'm not on about just you, Mads, but just generally, is it tends to make the conversation amongst the sort of audiophile community is very frequency response dependent, and yeah. There's more to a speaker than its frequency response, right? Oh, much more. It's a. I, I see. I see much of this and measurements. You can you can see a lot of things, but you have to take it as a guideline when mm-hmm. when you are designing speakers. It's a. You can you can create a speaker that looks perfect on paper, but could be extremely boring to listen to. Mm. So um, yeah, the, I think there is there's a lot more to it than just measurements, and I think too many are, are getting too much caught up into measurements but it, it is really one of the only things that you can relate to when you are when you're looking at a, at a speaker if you're browsing the web and stuff like that you it's it's one of the few things you can <laughs> you can relate to I think when you are yeah when you're when you're looking into it I think you're right I think it's you know when you're sort of looking for your next speaker for example and you're browsing the web you're not at a store you're not at a hi-fi show you're not anywhere I guess that y- the the idea of sort of measurements, especially frequency response graphs, can become very attractive because they are the only piece of concrete information, really concrete information you have about yeah. a speaker beyond going to experience it for yourself. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. So yeah, I can't think people are sort of drawn to that, and some people never leave. But yeah, no. But the best thing you can always do is, is of course. Uh, experience the things in real life but that's uh, that's becoming harder and harder within in the world that we are living in with uh, fewer mm. and fewer uh, brick and mortar stores we have of course of course always been consumer direct because we i believe that 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 was just the way that the industry was, was slowly heading but um mm. we'll have to see how how that <laughs> pans out in the end yeah this i mean it's an interesting one isn't it because whenever i i talked generally about audio files and becoming too dependent upon the internet I say to me, you're going to go out there and do stuff, right? Part of being an audiophile is doing, going out, listening, and trying things. And sometimes that means buying something on a home trial and then sending it back if you don't like it. And you, I, I would say, are probably one of the poster children of that sort of movement or it towards that way of selling because you don't sell through a traditional distributed dealer network. It is direct to the consumer with, a re- is it 60 days, Mads? Is that, do I have that right or 45? Uh, 45 days. 45 days, right. Yeah. Which is a good amount of time. So that's that's where the doing comes in, right? You've got to kind of you really have to get your credit card out basically and buy them, and then get your money back if you don't like them. It takes yep. it takes some effort, but <laughs> when you do that, you know for sure if this is your kind of product, right from the way it looks, the way it feels, how it how it is to use, how it looks like, it, how it looks in your house, just everything you can experience for yourself, right? You don't need to be just getting get hung up on graphs on the net. Or even yeah. listening to me, me crap on <laughs> in a video. You know, you can just experience it for yourself. Yeah, but and again, one of it's always been, I think, the biggest issue with um, with uh, especially selling speakers is that when you're going down to a brick and mortar store and you listen to to a pair that that you might like, and then you take it home and they sound nothing like they did in the store because, mm. as you as you know, and I think it's it's getting more and more clear to more and more people out there that the acoustic surroundings is much more uh, impactful than than the speakers sound um, 
of how they sound themselves. It's it's so so influenced by by the room and the setup. It is, and as somebody who publishes primarily on YouTube now, that has, I guess, that medium has made me focus more on room acoustics because my room is in the videos, right? So yeah. it's not just how the room looks, but you have to. It gives me a much much greater opportunity to talk about the acoustics of the room because people can see it, right? And then people see the rooms of other YouTubers and they can, I guess, well, some of them make their own assumptions about how something will sound and you can't really know and really until you measure it, right? And I've done that here and I guess, well, now I have this acoustic treatment in place. I've got a an RT60 time of less than 300 milliseconds it's pretty constant, actually. It's like 200 yep. and up. It's pretty, it's reasonably flat. Yeah. So for the mid range and above, it gets a bit wobbly in the bass still, but I haven't really treated the bass very much here. So for me, room correction software. Also the hard part. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I've, I've crapped on about this loads in other podcasts. But basically, if I wanted to correct that in this room, I would need many, 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 many bass traps so much that yep. it would just be, uh, be an unlivable space. And I think that's true of most people. And, but I think this is also where room correction software comes in which is probably a good segue actually into um, the streaming component of your speakers, because you didn't put that in, in the, in the speakers themselves. Well, not, not really. You've no. put it in an external box. You've got, yeah. well, you've got two boxes, two options, right? There's a thing called the Platin Hub and then there's the Premier, what's the model number? SC something? SC15. SC15, right? And they, they look different, they're priced differently and they do different things. But in the Platin Hub, so the, I guess we should explain this to, to listeners is that the hub itself, which is independently powered, which can sort of sit on your low board or just sort of somewhere in your room, it captures the stream from the server, right? Whether that's in the cloud or in your house. And then it sends left and right channels independently over the WESA protocol to yes. each of the, in this case, A700 speakers, right? Yeah. And this is called Open WESA. It, I, I think I don't know. It's, it should only should be called just Weiser. Yeah. Weiser. I, I don't know how, how how people actually going to pronounce it, but I've always said Weiser. Oh, okay. Uh, Weiser Weiser. Yeah. Weiser Weiser. Yeah. <laughs> I call but, it Weiser, but okay, yeah. we can call it Weiser. I don't mind. Yeah, but, but the, the whole yeah. idea is that uh, that it's it's an it's a standard for how you are you are transmitting uh, audio, and right. it is it is becoming uh, increasingly more and more popular, and is it is one of the only ways to do um, proper uh, wireless audio and and I, I like the i like the whole approach of being more open so like you say we have we have two bundle options but there are there are many bundle options you can you can choose from that is only the some of some brands that we have taken in and mm -hmm. uh, and, and bundling them with our speakers so you can get a, a very nice uh, deal on on these mm -hmm. um, transmitters wiser transmitters but there are a lot of other uh, wiser transmitters out there you can use with our speakers as well Right. So, would it work with some of the new LG TVs? Yeah, you. Uh, they. I think all the newer LG TVs they are wiser ready, but, but right. you still need a small USB dongle. That sort of looks like the first generation Chromecast. Um, huh. Yeah, but but the TVs are ready. They have they have the menus in place and stuff like that. So, and there are there are also smaller wiser objects uh, or transmitters that that you can use that does uh, fully surround sound uh, with uh, Dolby and all that stuff. Ours, uh, the ones that we um, offer, are only stereo uh, wiser. Yeah, oh, well, that's really my remit anyway. With yeah. just my website and YouTube channel, anyway, I don't often go into surround sound. But so, 
Can we talk about the differences between the the Platin Streaming Hub and the Premier Streaming Hub? Because as yeah, the sure. way I see it is the the Premier looks better, right? It is definitely the more high end uh, option, the more yes. um, audio file option. The the Platin Hub is a it is a fairly cheap preamp uh, mm. in comparison to to what the cost of the speakers are there when you're bundling with the speakers you only pay 300 euros for mm -hmm. something that has an insane amount of features right uh, and but yeah it's it, it doesn't have the same physical quality and build quality and um, the same components quality as the sc15 where the sc15 is a, is a more genuine hi-fi preamp uh, that has wiser as well but yeah they they, they do different in, in terms of what features they have <clears throat> Right, because I would call the Premier more of a luxury product. Yeah. And, and the, the Platin Hub is just more of a basic functional, well, it's, it's a plastic box, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and so the, let me see if I can remember this correctly. The Platin Hub does Spotify Connect, Tidal Connect. Oh, not Tidal Connect. Doesn't do Tidal Connect. Cr oh. Chromecast? It does. It has Chromecast built in. It has, yeah. uh, it has uh, AirPlay. And uh, mm -hmm. it has Bluetooth, well, just a basic Bluetooth. I, w I wouldn't recommend that for for yeah, audio. Sure. And then it has um, and it has a room ready that uh, that will be out fairly soon. I know that they are in the last stage of, uh, of becoming room ready right now after after a long yes certification process. Yeah. And it's got an HDMI input, right? Yeah. Now, how does that compare with the Premiere? Because I've never used the Premiere, so I don't know. The Premiere is uh, it has it has um, it doesn't have an HDMI input, but that mm -hmm. is, uh, and I I also ask Premiere or Premiere why it doesn't have that, but they mm -hmm. they they tend to have some some issues. Uh, they want a product that is as as stable as they can possibly build it, and and the, the natural thing of HDMI arc is that it it is not stable across all TV brands and mm -hmm. and 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 preamps and stuff like that. So so they are they are they are actually building a um, a new way of uh, of doing. A, of controlling volume from from a remote as well, but um, ah, okay, yeah, we um, but and in a, then it has uh, it has uh, analog uh, inputs and uh, also analog outputs. And analog outputs is something that um, that the um, the Pleasant Hub doesn't have. It doesn't mm. have any any um, any wired outputs. It only has Wiser as a, as an output. Right. So why might you want to use the analog outputs on the Premiere? That that could be if you want to uh, wire the speakers instead of using wiser. Uh, oh, I see, of reason. course, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, it could also be that you want to connect subs uh, with it, that uh, where you, where you're not forced to using uh, wiser um, ready subwoofers. So with, with the Premiere, you can uh, you can use any normal wired subwoofer that you like. Gotcha. Okay. And then I think the other difference is that the Platin Hub does your iPhone-based or iOS-based room correction, and the Premiere does not, is that right? That is, that is correct, yeah, because the, the Platinum Hub does have a, a DSP processor where we, can, uh, we have made an app where mm -hmm. you have a ton of features in the app, and then and they have a, actually a very easy-to-use and very effective room correction that I aim to, uh, to deal with, um, with sub-300 hertz um, uh, frequencies. So, mm -hmm. so basically to fix the room modes that is the issues that are the hardest to treat as you know <laughs> and yeah. uh, and, and it, it works uh, very well and um, yeah we have uh, so many happy customers that uh, that uh, that has also compared it to uh, Direc and and other types of room correction while mm. being a lot more simple to use um, it only needs an iPhone uh, which is the only uh, phone model that has been 
calibrated to work with uh, with the room correction and uh, and it does that by yeah, when you walk around the room with the iPhone while it does pink noise and it does thousands upon thousands of measurements and um, and with that way we can we can actually get fairly accurate readings even out of an iPhone microphone um, so that's um, that's that is uh, that is pretty nice tech uh, without having to uh, to spend a lot of time uh, setting up microphones and yeah, like you have with with Derek. Of course, you have more options again with Derek uh, to to adjust um, way more than you than you can with the room correction we use. Mm. But but to to respond to that, we uh, or respond to that, we we also have an, a very advanced manual EQ also that is uh, in the app that you can uh, toy around with if you have any other changes you like to uh, to make to the sound. Ah, uh, so is it a parametric EQ? It has it has a bunch of different types of uh, of EQs. Parametric is one of them. It has, mm. so. Yeah, I've been messing around with parametric EQ in my room in tandem with Room EQ Wizard just to see what it can do. Right. Yeah. So if I pull down that what I perceive to be an in room, this is the in room response from the listening position, right? So if I measure the room with Roo, Room EQ Wizard, and I see a bump somewhere, I then go to the parametric EQ in the device and try and pull it down just to see if it reflects in the listening position. And invariably, it does. Very yeah. powerful stuff, right? Yeah, it, it can I, be. It's, it's useful, especially in the low end, yeah. right? Because I've still got this 35 hertz mode, and parametric EQ is, I think, actually for me, possibly the easiest way to tackle it rather than going through the room correction process because... Yes, that, as long as you know where you have your, uh, your room mode yeah. issues, you can, you can easily uh, deal with them in, a, in an EQ as well. I liken parametric EQ to as, as something for power users, right? Yeah. And then let's say room correction in its sort of default mode of being fairly auto magical in many ways is good for beginners. So it's, it, you know, there's something for everybody if you've got both. Yeah. And I guess the broader point that I, I, I guess is if it's not obvious to listeners already, the great thing about having these hubs, these external streaming hubs, is that as technology advances with streaming, I don't think it does actually. I did tackle this in my last podcast. Um, I'll, I'll give you the basic pricey, right? Is that we're using AirPlay, uh, Chromecast, Spotify Connect, Room Re Room Ready, and HDMI, like in in the Platin. Now yeah. that. That's a fairly sort of standard configuration, not so much HDMI, but it has been in the last few years. Yeah. That, that configuration hasn't really changed much in the last 10 years, right? 10 years ago, we had AirPlay, Spotify Connect. We were a couple of years out from Rune Ready, but Rune Ready is, has been around for seven years now. Yeah. And the great thing about Rune is, yes, they're new, but they also did that clever thing where they enabled streaming to Sonos, AirPlay, Chromecast. So they opened up the, the other streaming devices to their world. But my point here is that I don't think AirPlay is going anywhere. Neither is Spotify Connect, neither is Google Chromecast, and neither is Room Ready. So I don't know, Mads, what kind of changes do you foresee, if any, in this, the, the music streaming system world? The, the way I see it is that it is, it is one of the, uh, the places of, of technology that, that moves uh, much faster than, let's say, AMP technology and uh, DAC technology. Mm. Uh, it is the, the the streaming. It is it is what we are seeing that are getting adding more things like now Tidal Connect and it could be Cobus Connect and whatever maybe AirPlay Free or uh, Chromecast Two can. I don't know. It can mm. a lot of things can can happen there. And uh, and you 
for for the for the the streaming boards, they need to have enough memory to uh, to take in all these new things and also updates like the recent uh, Google Cast update, mm-hmm. which was a huge update that took a lot of memory on 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 the streaming boards and a lot of streaming boards couldn't couldn't get that update because of uh, of a limitation of the memory. Mm. So so it it is it is still a technology that 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 moves faster than than everything else in the audio industry basically and um and i i feel that it is better to have that separated from the speaker just to if there i don't know if there will be new technologies maybe we are at a <laughs> at a halt right now for, for streaming technology but if there will, would be uh, within the next five or ten years it would uh, it would be a bummer for people to have bought a pair of speakers that has built-in um, streaming and that they uh, that they are basically left behind with obsolete tech in uh, in the speakers. I guess the way I see it, and I'm not trying to deliberately contradict you at all, this is just my, my opinion, right, is that if I look back at, say, the original Blue Sound Node or the original Aurelic Aries streamer, like because these were some of the first sort of commercially available audiophile-focused streamers, yeah. they still work as they always did. Yeah. And I don't see any tech available now apart from Tidal Connect that is not in those products. No. So and, and that is that is yeah. absolutely true. If you if you're happy with what, what you have and you don't have the edge to uh, to upgrade, mm. I, I think you will you'll be good for yeah, basically indefinitely if uh, if that's the case. But but yeah, it's it's we we just we see a lot of people. They they have the itch to always upgrade, be on there on the yeah. newest thing. They want to, <laughs> they want to have the the newest and the best, and, and that that is just uh, something that I think we humans are uh, are prone to. But um, but yeah, it's if if you're happy with what what it has right now and everything keeps getting supported, then then sure there are there are no reason to to fear that that uh, the new check comes along because of course it will eventually. Um, does for for everything i remember a i won't name the manufacturer but a, a, it was a actually scandinavian right uh they make streaming amplifiers and the, the, the my contact there was telling me how when airplay 2 was announced he got a flurry of emails like asking like when are you adding airplay 2 to your devices yeah. right same here uh, right <laughs> okay so yeah. you've been through this and his, yeah. his response was well, can you tell me what it is that AirPlay 2 does that you want now that AirPlay 1 cannot do? And he said that that seemed to completely flummox the yeah. the uh, the emailers, the, the customers emailing in, because really all they wanted to know was that they've just got the latest. They didn't really yeah. think about <laughs> the usability or the functionality. They just wanted to know that they got the latest version, right? Do you yeah, see exactly. you must see a lot of that as well. I right? see I see a lot of that. Yeah, and I, I see a lot of I see a lot of um, potential buyers or interesting uh, people that uh, that are very concerned when when you're talking about active speakers in general and mm. and also um also uh, streaming and, and a lot of that. And then and for that reason I uh, I am um, we we choose to not include a streamer in in our amplifier for our passive speakers uh, for that for that reason. Um and it's it's also, yeah, it's it opens up for for a lot of uh, <laughs> potential problems to uh, to have all that built in. And um, yeah, when when people are are saying when when does Title Connect come and when does the the newest AirPlay come and when does Room uh, Ready come and mm. yeah, it's it's a lot of things to um, 
to to take in under your uh, umbrella of what you're doing in, in in the company so and like this we don't make the platinum hub we don't make the primary we don't we don't really uh, like to uh, to do that much in terms of uh, of streaming directly in our loudspeakers we are, we are a company that that develops and uh, produce loudspeakers mainly and uh, and also a more basic amp where you don't have uh, uh, streaming, but you do have the DSP of the uh, that, that we have seen as well, and and have the the app features that you also have with the with the active speakers when you are bundling them with the Pleasant Hub. Mm. So so there are still a lot of features that go over to to the passive world uh, from from all this. But um, I think uh, the streaming is um, I don't know I, I maybe I have I have just been too scared of it. <laughs> Uh, because I, I I see so many new things coming all, all the time, and, uh, and customers always emailing me when when we will be on that uh, <laughs> jumping on that wagon. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, I can sort of understand when it comes to say Tidal Connect because that is a very powerful streaming platform because it keeps you in the app, right? And it's almost like Chromecast, but Chromecast isn't gapless, which is a constant bugbear of mine, and Tidal Connect is. So I can sort of see that, but I'd I'd still say that Tidal is a fairly sort of minor player in the streaming world compared to Spotify, Google, Apple, right? And I think they're the, they're the big three that I think I would be keeping my eye on. And I, I guess the the general point that I see is that what you are selling is peace of mind, especially to people who are nervous about buying a, an act, streaming active system. And having yeah. everything bundled in, right? So you've got the upgradable amps, great, tick that box. And then you've got external streaming that sends it, you know, over Weiser, Weiser to your speakers. So tick that box. So I think you're talking to very, very effectively to the kind of people I see in my comment section who panic when they see everything in, inside the loudspeaker. Yeah. 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 We have to basically see, uh, see our eyes of loudspeakers as, as being. Like a passive setup, when you have where you have uh, power amps and you have DACs mm. and you have your speakers, that is it. Then the only thing you have to add to it is the preamp and and the streamer. Mm. So, so that uh, that is basically it. Um, of course, the DSP is uh, is something in itself, but it, it's just a more com- complicated or advanced uh, piece of uh, crossover and where you can we can do more things than than you can with a with a passive speaker. But yeah, it's um. It's the way I think that people should should see the system uh, mm. instead of uh, just a complete package. But of course, we we do offer the bundle, so we also offer complete packages, where you have a complete setup, where you have everything that you would need. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, you sent me a pair of A seven hundred and the Premier Hub, and so I've got everything I need to get up and running. And I mean, I'm familiar with the Weezer system since having yeah. used your A five hundred system, but I see that as becoming slightly more popular because that's what Dynaudio are uh, touting with their focus series, mm. you know, in terms of compatibility. And actually, I stupidly never asked Stephen at Dynaudio whether one could use a Premiere Hub to stream to the the focus series speakers because they're they're Weezer receivers. So I guess you could. I don't know why you would if the streaming's all in the speaker, but I guess it's still a, a possibility. I don't know. But I, yeah, I just I'm I'm sort of really digging into this in my own sort of in my own head about what I mean, I call it futurefy. So what futurefy means for different people, because some people like me are very happy having everything in the speaker. Like it doesn't give me anxiety at all. Um, But other people don't feel that way. And I understand that. 
and they want yeah. things to be separated out a little bit, not to the extent of separates and passive speakers and all that kind of thing, but being able to service the amps and being able to change out the streaming tech as it, if it evolves. And I yeah. think, I think you've kind of hit the bullseye in that respect. There, there is, there is definitely products that, uh, for everybody, um, somebody don't like to have a third box, even though mm. something like the Pleasant Hub, you can just put it in a in a drawer. <laughs> you don't right. have to look at it even. <laughs> um, but but yeah, it's um, it's all about uh, I think what what the customer and the end user uh, wants in the end, and it I think it it will always vary. Active speakers are not for everybody. Mm. We still see a lot of people, and the majority are still buying passive speakers. So. So yeah, so can I ask you? Like, I mean, do do you sell more passives than actives? I think since since the release of the S four hundred Mark II, I think it's it's fairly even. Uh, but I I think that's where we we got very popular with the when we when we released the the active speakers because they they were active speakers that did things that that hasn't really been seen before mm. um, on the market, and it it is it is a an overall platform that is extremely flexible. I think uh, a lot of people like that uh, to have have so much power in their own hands to how mm. they actually want the system to sound. So um, and and that is that is the idea of the system is that, as I know how and we all know, that's how important the room is. So so to build a, to build a system that will that will play as as good as it can in any type of room is mm. uh, is what is what the active system is is all about. Because we we don't yeah. have not many people have they have to live in 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 their living rooms and have to uh, they can't place the acoustic panels up everywhere um, not everybody can at least no not at all no, very <laughs> very few people would be able to do what I've done yeah I, I understand that absolutely it's 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 a very I mean I've got a fairly sort of niche uh, arrangement here yeah. and you're right like having the I mean the thing okay so. My take on this is that room creation is, is great for the low end, not so much for the higher frequencies, which is where the passive treatments really come into their own. And if yeah. you can, I mean, ideal blue sky scenario, you'd have both, which is why a lot of sort of recording studios have the passive treatments and then they use a, a room creation software. Very popular in the pro world is Sonarworks, yeah. not so much in, in the home world, but, and they use that sort of, I guess I call it icing the cakes. They use both, right? But in the home market, it really is room creation software for most people, which can solve the biggest problems, which is the base problems. And I think I think it's fantastic. I mean, for me, like active, that's one of the advantages of having streaming active loudspeakers is that you can build your room correction into the system, right? Yeah. And if you can't put it there, you I mean, the other way of doing it is to have like a like an NAD M10V2. You have like a little streaming amplifier with your room creation built in that then feeds some passive speakers. Yeah. Fantastic as well. Yeah, and it, it, is, it is so, uh, I think it's so amazing to see that, that room correction become more and more normal in the industry because mm. it is, I, I think it's, it's so important because uh, nearly everybody struggle with room modes, even though they might not know it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah that, that is just a huge issue. Of course, room correction, can fix everything and it's uh but it but it can certainly be a, a very powerful tool to get you in the right direction when we're talking about bass but yeah if you if you have a, an extremely lively room room correction can't do anything about that you just have to <laughs> have to do something yourself as well uh, if you want to dampen uh, the um, the echo in uh, in a room yeah i mean 
yeah, so upper frequency reverb is a big problem in sort of very lively rooms. And yeah, yeah I don't think room creation, to, well, you can't do anything about that because it's a time domain issue, right? Yeah, once, once the sound is out, it's out. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Where, the, where the room is most influential in, in to, to how the speaker performs is definitely within the bass because mm. when we're talking about bass, it's your room that's in control. It's not the speaker anymore. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, certainly... I know that I'm definitely going to have to use room correction on the A700 when I set them up because yeah. I've got a six meter by five meter room. It's not enormous. Um, and in fact, actually, I was watching a video by my friend Jesko Lohan, who also lives in Berlin. He's a, he runs this great YouTube channel. I'll give him a shout out. It's called Acoustics Insider. And it is definitely not aimed at the audiophile. It's aimed at people building home I recording know, studios, right? I know his channel. You know his channel. Okay. Yeah. So he, he, he knows his shit. <laughs> he does know his shit. Yeah. I, I mean, I, we hang out every now and again, but he was saying in a recent video, like he was talking about somebody had asked him, what's a small room. And he said, because I classify my room as, or had done until this point, six meters by five meters as the sort of the, the lower end of medium. Right. Mm. But according to Yesco, no, it's like, he said, anything less than your typical school classroom is small. And so that's, you know, that's me. I'm in a small room. So, I mean, I, I realize that people will go, oh, I've got a room that's three meters by half a meter. You think yours is small, John? There's nothing about it. I realize that. I do understand that, you know, not everybody has even this much space, but that makes... I, I think you'll, <laughs> you'll be surprised of how many emails I get with uh, customers that want to to cram in the A700 in a three by three meters room. Really? Yeah, people, people do have uh, quite small rooms. Uh, in general out there, mm -hmm. I see we, well, we, we do deal and, and talk with people all around the world. So it's, mm -hmm. of course, it's very depending on where they live, but, uh, but it's rare, rare that we see rooms that are, um, that are, that are too large, actually. What do you say to a customer like that? Who's got a three by three room and wants a pair of a 700, you try and tell them, try and say, look, the a 500 with maybe a sub would be a better fit. Yeah, they don't need a sub. They don't. But I'm just <laughs> no, not in that room. And and no, I I would I would never unless they they are they are insisting on buying an A700 for such a small room. I, I would never uh, tell them to to do that. I I will would recommend the A500 as as the smallest option we have. And if mm. we had, we are working on that. An even smaller option again. I, I would choose that as well because it's yeah you you would. You would not you would not get a benefit of of having a speaker like the A seven hundred that goes straight down to seventeen hertz in right. a in a three by three room. It it can't it can't produce that low frequencies in such a small room. It's impossible. Right. Yes. So you I'm not gonna let you get away with this, man. So you just said you're working on something even smaller than the A five hundred? Yeah. So that's gonna yeah. be is that gonna be a, a streaming active like this is gonna be the active platform again? Well, it's it's very easy to describe because it's basically the uh, the A five hundred, but with five inch woofers instead. Okay. So uh, yeah, it's it's about I would say thirty percent smaller. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So it, yeah, it's something that's in in development right now. I won't ask you when it's coming because I know this stuff always slips and you never know. Yeah, that's right? impossible. So it, yeah, say. it arrives when it arrives. Yeah. But that's interesting that yeah. you kind of you're working on that because is that because people you've you've noticed that people are contacting you and they've got small rooms is that why you're doing it it's it's part of it uh, I've, and i think that's that's one of the the big benefits uh, of uh, of being so much in direct contact with uh, with your customers and all the people that that email us all the time mm. is that you get to know um, a trend of what what people 
maybe a need more than what they want because I think everybody wants uh, as big of a speaker as possible in uh, <laughs> in their smaller room. But um, and also also people that uh, that just can't have big speakers because of maybe their wives doesn't want big speakers in the room. Mm. Um, so and yeah, and personally, I the the thing that we wanted with Bukhara Audio was uh, was to create sort of compact designs that has that has way and bigger performance than uh, than than what the size would in, intend them to have mm. and that that is one of the things where where active surely helps us so much because we can uh, we can we can push so much more out of uh, out of smaller speakers than you can with a passive uh, design mm. so um so yeah i'm i'm very much looking forward to uh, to this next one um i think it's a, it's a very nice uh, size of a speaker Marvelous. Look forward to that. Well, in the meantime, I've got to kind of um, yeah get myself psyched up for some A700 action. Um, thank you very much, Mads, for chatting today. It's been most illuminating as always. And um, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on the show. My pleasure. It's always nice. You have been listening to Mads Bookart from Bookart Audio and me, John Darko. This episode was produced by Nick McCorriston and music came from Ben Pitt.